Luke chapter 12, it's page 1035 in the Pew Bible. Luke 12, 22 through 34. We won't, uh, we're going to take several, not several, two or three weeks to go through this passage because it is such a, um, just a really pertinent, uh, just, it's a very powerful passage, just a lot packed in it. So we're going to just kind of take our time through it. It's very practical, I think. For my own heart, I guess I'll be honest, I read this and I think I need to slow down and I need to take seriously what Jesus is saying to us here. So, that's what we'll be doing. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So I feel like there needs to be a bit of a preface to our topic this morning and for the next few weeks. And I've already said I want to camp out here. I, just, I think this has a lot of practicality for our lives. Jesus is going to be addressing the issue of anxiety and he takes it head on. He's not going to uh, avoid it or kind of skirt the issue. He's going to just straight up give us realities regarding anxiety. But before we get into the meat of what he's saying, I, I feel like I need to discuss a few important things when we come to something like this. And the first is that I am not a doctor. And that's maybe shocking to all of you. You can call me Dr. Darren if you want to, but it's a lie. I'm not a doctor. I don't have any sort of medical authority, and I'm not trying to be flippant about medical realities. And the reason why I say this is because anxiety disorders are a real thing in our culture today. Like we have, it is a, I I wouldn't want to put anyone on the spot to try to give us a stat. I didn't look it up, I guess. You probably could Google it when you get home. Whether that's accurate or not, I don't know. But the amount of anxiety disorders that do really exist, and they are real. I mean, people really struggle with anxieties. And so this is not, I want to put this out front, this is not my attempt to be 
flippant or disregarding about the difficulties of struggling with anxiety. I do not come to you as some expert, as though um, I know all about anxiety and here's how you're going to deal with it. I have no desire to be the expert or someone who claims to be a champion over anxiety. I know that I'm, I'm up three steps here, but that is not meant to convey this idea of I'm the one who's conquered anxiety and I'm going to tell you all how to do it as well. I do not come as the expert or as the champion over anxiety myself. I am far from it. Part of the reason why we're slowing down here is selfishly for my own soul <laughs> that I need to hear a lot of teaching on not being anxious. So we gather, though, we do gather for something authoritative to be said. It's just not me. We gather that Jesus would speak to us. This is not what Darren thinks about anxiety. This is the word of Jesus, what he says about anxiety. So our goal and my goal this morning is to to get out of the way of what Jesus has to say about anxiety. And my encouragement to you is that you always work hard to hear the voice of Jesus. That as you sit and listen to me, as you sit and listen to the Scripture, as you sit and and read the words we sing through, that in all of these things, as you listen to the prayers that are offered, you are listening for what Jesus has to say. What What is His authoritative word? Specifically, Yes, when we get to the reading of Scripture, the recording of His Word to us. So, this means that, that there are, he, we, we, we're going to hear hard things. There are hard things to hear. We've got to hear things as they are. And to hear the encouragements also as they are meant to be heard as encouragements. You, got, you need to hear the hard realities as hard realities and hear the encouragements as they are meant to be heard as encouragements. Jesus is not speaking in fluffy platitudes here. He's taking real issues on, reality, he's taking reality head on, and he is giving us concrete realities to store up in our hearts and to take refuge in. So, those are some preface realities. Because everyone in here has got a story. Right? I mean, you all, I mean, we could go around and I have no ability myself to take on every individual story in this, in this room. And every individual story has a multitude of different worries to it. And so you could just look across this room this morning and the amount of potential worries that are out there, we would spend the rest of our lives trying to gather together to tackle every single worry that would come across our horizon. So I have no ability to address every single issue of anxiety or worry. But we have to ask, does Jesus have this same inability? I can't address every inability, but does the Lord of heaven and earth have the ability to know every worry and to say something that will impact them? Darren can't, but can Jesus? Does he, as the Lord, have the ability is, is his teaching limited or does it have the ability to reach into every area? And you may tell yourself, well, you know, Jesus is, you know, this is, he doesn't understand my story. I mean, that's what you get, you'll, 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 that'll rise up from within you at times. Yeah, this is what Jesus says, but you know, he doesn't get what's going on with me. I have special circumstances. Don't let yourself get away with that. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. And here he is speaking, and we ought to let him speak in an authoritative way over our lives. So, 
what we have this morning is an imperative. Verse 22, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. We have an imperative. It is a command. Jesus is speaking to the disciples still in this narrative through chapter 12. And he says to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not. It's a command. It's not suggestion. It is an imperative. Remember the Ten Commandments we've gone through? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. All of these thou shalt nots, this is the same language. Do not be anxious about your life. This is an imperative. It is a command from Jesus. And therefore, to disobey a command from Jesus, what do we call that? We have a a nice three-letter word that we call disobeying a command from Jesus. And that word is sin. To disobey Jesus is sin. He is commanding us not to be anxious. He's commanding us not to be excessive in our worry about life. And to disobey that is sin. We are talking about a sin issue here. Jesus, thankfully like a good teacher though, does not command a thing to be and not give us um, supports or arguments to help us out of this this um, plague of anxiety that really we all at different varying degrees have. Disobeying the command to not be anxious is sin because at its core, worry is disbelief in God. At its core, anxiety is disbelief in God. It is, I didn't say unbelief, that's a little bit of a, a nuance there, but it is disbelief in God. It's affirming that you think problems and circumstances are greater than God. You think the problems that are on your horizon, you think the circ, we think, I'll stop, we, I'll include myself under this one, we think the problems that are coming, the circumstances that are on our horizon, the difficulties that are coming down the way are somehow greater than God. And so therefore, I cannot trust God. This thing is greater than my God. It is sin because it is disbelief in God. So we're addressing worry, all of this worry, as a sin of disbelief. Disbelief in who God is, in His greatness, and an idolatrous belief in circumstances giving them a greatness that they don't deserve. Looking on your horizon and saying, this thing could be coming, this thing could be coming, and giving it more value and more power over your life than the God who rules everything. We can boldly face this as sin for one great reason, one, one clear reason. We can face this as sin because thankfully we know that to confess sin and to trust in Christ is to know the forgiveness of sin. Okay, So the reason why we're able to boldly keep the hard edges of the law, those hard edges, they cut, they hurt, they bruise, they wound us. But the reason why we're able to keep those hard edges like worry and anxiety is sin, it's disbelieving God, is because in letting those hard edges remain and wound us and reveal who we really are, we are then able to confess, God help me. This is where I am. These are the things that are on my horizon. And I, I don't want to distrust you, but I am distrusting you in this area. And so I confess, I confess my sin. And here, here I am, God. Here's my worry. Will you help me? Will you forgive me? And God is faithful and just. First John, or First John 1, 10, 1, 9. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we keep the hard edges on the reality that anxiety and worry is sin because it is at its core disbelief 
in God. So as we work through this text, we see just this general command not to worry. We're, not, we're commanded not to worry about our life, what we are to eat or what we are to wear. We're not to concern ourselves with appetites and appearances, food and fashion. We're not to concern ourselves with these things because as Jesus says in verse 23, this is revolutionary, life is more than food. <laughs> life is more than food. Life is more than appetites. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Life is more than food and fashion. Life is more than appearances and appetites. Now, I, I, that seems so basic, but you know, we have to say that in our world today. Life is more than what you want and what you want to appear like. Life is more than that. Life is far more than that. You wouldn't believe it if you walk down the grocery store and look at the magazines, right? That life is nothing but about food and fashion. Food and fashion. Appetites. Don't you want this? Don't you want this? Don't you want this? Don't you want to look like this? Don't you want to appear like this? Don't you want to have this? That's what we're sold. <laughs> and a part of us is, oh yeah, that is, I, I do care about foods and fashion. And Jesus just has to come out and say, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. How much of our culture and consequently ourselves are consumed with our appetites, what we're going to do next, what we want next, and our appearances, how others think of us. Life is about far more than your appetites and your appearances. This is one of the major hurdles out of, out of, out of worry. There's a, there's a disorder I'd like to name here. I think it's original to me. I don't know that anyone else... I heard it anywhere or not, but I, I'm going to create a, a new category of disorder. You can put it in the books when you get to, get to work. Uh, a new category of disorder, okay? And so I'm going to, the disorder is called SRS. It's an acronym. It's SRS. And the acronym stands for Starring Role Syndrome. Starring Role Syndrome, SRS. So many of us and so many of our concerns revolve around this disordered orientation and consideration of ourselves. We all suffer to one degree or another with SRS, starring role syndrome. We think our foods, our fashions, we think we are the center of the universe. You all are cast in your own Hollywood movie. You are the main figure, every little detail. You are, everyone else is supporting cast. And I am the starring role. This is why, I mean, so many fights, we could go on and on, but this idea of everything really exists for me. And, and when I don't get my way, when my kids don't behave the way that I want them to, when my coworkers don't behave towards me the way that I want them to, when all of these circumstances in life don't go the way that I want them to, I become furious because I suffer from SRS. I have a starring role syndrome. We believe and live as though everything revolves around us. And so therefore, every little detail of life is a giant ordeal, a cataclysmic event. You all know people like this if you don't confess it and see it in yourself. You know people that suffer from SRS, do you not? They're constantly trying to figure out their life purpose. Who am I? Who am I? Who they are, what they should do, how something makes them look, how certain things will work out for them. Everything is geocentric. They, have, they haven't come to a Copernican revolution and realized that, oh, we revolve around something else besides ourselves. They believe they are 
the center of the narrative. They are the main figure. And they watch reality play out as a story about themselves. This is the life of a sufferer of SRS, starring role syndrome. And the reality is we all do tend towards this disorder. So I like fancy Latin. Here's a, here's a Latin term. Sproul uses lots of Latin, R.C. Sproul. The fancy Latin term for this reality is from Augustine, actually, back in the three, a long time ago. It's called incurvatus in se. Isn't that fancy? Incurvatus in se. I, I, it just sticks with me. I don't know why. Latin, I, a weird word like that, I can, I can get a hold of the concept. Incurvatus in se. And what the Latin means is curved in on oneself. Incurvatus, it kind of sounds like it. Curved in upon oneself. And what happened as a result of the fall, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, nature, sin nature, became bent in upon itself. Incurvatus in se. We became bent in towards ourselves. And instead of looking out at the world and worshiping the Creator, instead of gazing out into the galaxies and thinking, wow, something is huge out there, instead we turn our heads down and we basically just gaze at our navels the whole time. You ever heard of navel gazing? That's a fall of, that's a result of the fall. That's the result of sin. We become navel gazers. It's what Romans 1 talks about, that they exchange the glory of God for things created and worship the created things over the Creator who is to be forever praised, Romans 1 tells us. This is what sin has done us, is we have bent in upon ourselves. No ability to look out. It's funny, you'll notice, Darla and I comment on this, you'll see kids, high schoolers, junior high kids at a park. It's a sunny, beautiful day. It's just, you know, the birds are singing, the grass is growing, there's a lawnmower going, flowers are growing, and the kids are all literally gazing at their navels with a phone on their stomach and just looking down and looking, and all of the world is going on around them, and all they can do is incurvatus in se. We are just stuck at SRS. We have starring role syndrome. There is no world outside of myself, and I am the main thing. And so... Because of this, because we see ourselves as the center of the narrative, every detail, every possible thing on the horizon takes on cataclysmic events. We are so worried about all these things because of the relationship they would have to us. So Jesus then gives us some help in this worry issue. What help does Jesus give us? Well, he starts off with a couple of calls for us to consider. Consider. I just could stop at that word. We could spend too much time on consider. We have lost the ability in this world today to consider. We are not considerers. We are consumers. And so we do not sit around and think. We sit around and consume. We don't sit around and consider. We consume. We either have an iPod. We have music going in. Or if, in my case, you have a podcast or an audio book going in. Or you've got the radio going. Or you've got some news channel on. Or you've got something. You're consuming, consuming, consuming. And we have no ability to consider anymore. Jesus is calling for some considering. And three things he has for us to consider in our closing time here. To consider. We're told to consider the ravens and the lilies. Firstly, we'll just go firstly. We're told to consider the ravens and the lilies. Now, I know what you think. Darren, we live in a modern age where we really understand brain psychology and all of these things. Birds and, birds and Blooms, that's a, that's a flower magazine, right? Does anyone else see, ever see Birds and Blooms? Honestly, we're supposed to combat anxiety with Birds and Blooms. 
I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Jesus says, don't worry. He says, consider, think about, think about. So don't, I, I, my worry is that we just think, we, oh my gosh, this is some crazy new age. Birds and blooms, flowers, flowers and ravens to conquer anxiety's real. You know, that's kind of the way that we feel. Jesus knows it's real. These men are going to come under serious persecution. Jesus is going to the cross. He understands worry about the future, what the potential worry for the future is. And he says to combat it by considering the ravens and the lilies. Consider the birds and the blooms. The birds do not gather or reap, he tells us, right? The ravens, they don't sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses or barns, yet God cares for them. Now, birds aren't lazy. Like they, don't, you don't, they don't sell bird lazy boys, recliners. You know, they're, they're out there. They're diligently working, diligently stealing my, my dog's dog food to eat it because it's grain-based. Sorry. But you know, they're, they're constantly working to, to feed themselves. But Jesus, you know, the, they're out there working. And guess what? They get fed. They don't plant. They don't spend their spring putting seed into the ground so that it'll grow up and produce more harvest. They're just scavengers. And yet, what do we see? They get fed. God feeds the birds. Jesus then presses on this issue. He says, are you not of greater value than birds? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, you are. If you didn't know that, it's not a trick question. The answer is yes, you are of more value than birds. Birds are wonderful. They're incredible to see. But they don't carry the imago Dei, more Latin. They don't carry the image of God. They're not image bearers like humanity is. If God cares to give birds what they need, why do we think he wouldn't care for us? Why do we think he wouldn't care for us? One commentator says it like this. Christ is not so unrealistic not to have noticed that birds fall prey to old age, disease, enemies, and famines. Romans 10, or Matthew 10, 29 quotes him as saying that not one sparrow falls without your father knowing it, nor does he imply that no believer will ever die of hunger or cold. What Christ is saying is that as long as it is necessary for God to leave us in this world, to learn and practice the principles of the kingdom and to work for its extension and to pray for its coming so long as, as he does those things, so long as God ordains for us to live and to be here, so long as he does that, then so long does God undertake that we shall have the food and clothes necessary, necessary for the course. When in God's wisdom the time for our course runs out, we cannot by worrying add the smallest amount to our lifespan anyway. And with that gone, we shall not need food or clothes anymore. Why therefore worry about them, the smaller things, when worrying about the largest thing of all is no use? Part of the trouble is we think there is more to our life story than maybe there really is. We, with our SRS, believe ourselves to be the main character of the universe and therefore everything should go exactly our way. This movie can't go this way. This movie can't, I can't be where I am. I can't, I can't have all these things go on in my life. I'm the, I'm the main character. What a terrible movie this is if this is the way the main character's life goes. But it does not always go our way. Our dreams of this perfect Hollywood life get crushed. And in moments like that, do we say, well, God's, that's, evidently God doesn't care for me. Does God not care for us? By no means that is not the truth. If life has not gone your way and it hasn't worked out the amazing role that you wanted to, it is not that God has forsaken you. God is incapable of abandoning his children. 
Psalm 94, 14, for the Lord will not forsake his people. Isaiah 49, 15 says, can the woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Even the mother may abandon the child that she's nursing. Hard to imagine someone doing that. But even these may forget. But God says, yet I will not forget you. Yet I will not forget you. Consider the birds. Calm your fears and anxieties, knowing the God and the care of God for you. So that's the birds, the blooms. Just quickly, I mean, spring flowers are, isn't it insane to think about these tulips that pop up and they're so pretty and then they're just gone? I mean, it's one of the most upsetting. I wish tulips lasted all summer. I mean, they're, they're just a, a wonderful flower that grows up and these spring flowers, they come up and they're gone. But beyond these flowers we intentionally plant, does no one else think it's weird, maybe you disagree with me, that Creeping Charlie has one of the prettiest purple flowers of all, and it's a weed. We hate it, right? I mean, we, we spend money to spray and to get rid of the stuff because it's invasive. It takes over our yard. But there's a few yards in town, I'll just be honest, it's got a lot of Creeping Charlie in it. And it's pretty this time of year. It puts on this little purple flower. And it's a great, you couldn't, I can't make that color purple if I tried. And it's a weed, and God has made this weed purple. We used to cut down musk thistles because it's, you know, you can't have them, right? You had to go and it was a nightmare job. You've got to pluck the heads off of them because they can't go to seed. You cut them down, they'll still go to seed. So you've got to pluck the heads, and then you can cut them down, and then you can spray Tordon, something like that in it. It's a nightmare. Do you ever notice how pretty a musk thistle is? And, and I spent summer, I spent, I spent quality time of my childhood plucking, not mud, my dad, you know, it wasn't that bad, but, you know, going out and, and picking, picking thistles. This, beauty, this thing we hate, how beautiful God has made it. Is that not... If God makes weeds that beautiful, why do we not think He'll care for us? Honestly. It's, I mean, it, 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 it defies logic. The, the beauty that God puts on these lilies. Consider the lilies. Consider the flowers. If God works so hard to provide beauty and care for plants that will not last for the wheat grass they're talking about you know this grass goes up and it blooms and you cut it down and it's burnt the next day and it's gone it's gone and god clothes it with this beauty how can we not trust that god will take care of us this is what jesus calls us to consider consider the birds and the blooms secondly consider your inability inability i mean really your worry doesn't do you any good you can worry for tomorrow all you want, but it doesn't good change tomorrow. It's not. This is what Jesus says in the middle here. He says, consider the ravens. He says, for life is more than food. 25, 25. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Consider the birds and the ravens. Consider the birds and the blooms. Consider your inability. Your worry is not going to get you anything anyway. You can't make your heart beat six seconds longer than God says it's done beating. You can't. I mean, I don't care how hard you try to, you're not going to be able to make that happen. And at first it seems like, oh no, this is just plunging us into more worry. Well, thanks for bringing that up, Darren. Now I've got this other thing to worry about. That doesn't help me to consider about uh, my inability to affect anything in my life. That doesn't help. But listen, the reality is, even if you did feel safer and worried less, if I could convince you all, you can make your heart beat longer just by force of will. I'd be lying to you. It wouldn't do you any good to believe that. 
What's, what's powerful about this, the comfort here is rejoicing and knowing your place as a creature. You're not God. We're not the creator. And, and that comes with a sigh of relief. It comes with a sigh of relief. The world is not riding on your back. You are not the savior of the world or even yourself. You're not the savior of your children. You're not the savior of your loved ones. You're not the savior of all of these circumstances in your life. God is the one in charge. And it is good to consider your place in the world. And it is to be a creature under a great creator. Consider the birds and the blooms. Consider your inability. Consider God's care for his children. Ends off, and we'll, we'll do more on this next week. But speaking of God as a father. Speaking of God as a father. Verse 30, 29 says, Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to think, nor drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. We end with these words from Jesus. He states that out of all of these worries, there is great comfort that you have an almighty, powerful Father. Father, who knows what you need better than even you do. And not only that, He has the power to actually bring it to pass. How does this comfort us? Because the God who cares for birds and blooms, who has the power to do what we cannot accomplish That God is a father to those who are his. Worry fades away in the understanding of this God who cares for birds and blooms to be the God who cares so intensely for you that he would adopt you into his family and say, call me father. Call me father. It isn't just... he is a holy God and we worship and we with fear and trembling as Psalm 96 says we 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 tremble before him all the nations because he's this holy righteous God trembling and fearing the Lord this God who is so magnificent so big so huge so sovereign so great that we tremble before him is the God that reaches down and brings us into his family <laughs> what This is what God does for us. It's the very thing that Paul focuses on in the 8th chapter of Romans. He says in 8.32 of the book of Romans, Paul writes this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The all things there are all the things necessary for us to be glad in him forever. If God sends His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. If that God, so righteous, so huge, so holy, gives His Son that we might become His children, why would we think He would not bring us all the way home? Why would we worry about appetites and appearances, foods and fashions, when this Creator God has brought us into His family and has called us sons and daughters, heirs with Christ. Why would we worry? He will not fail to give us everything we need to be ultimately glad in Him forever. And how are we sure of this? We look to the cross of Jesus Christ. There at the cross, God demonstrates His love for us, right? Romans 5.8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When your life goes upside down, when you find yourself in a hospital, either in the bed or beside the bed of a loved one, when doors close in your life that'll never be opened again, I mean, that, that happens, right? Like, it isn't like, oh, the God closes the door, he opens the window. Yeah, but I wanted that door to be open. 
And sometimes door closes, you lose a loved one, something happens in your life, you, you move on, you have an illness and things shut. And you, you go on and that door ain't never going to be opened again. When these doors shut, we are tempted to worry thinking that God has abandoned us. In those moments, do not lose sight of the cross. You should never doubt the love of God for you. Have you repented of your sins? Confessed yourself a sinner? Have you trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? If so, then you are His. You are His. And the Father that has made you His own by His sovereign work will not fail to bring you all the way home and to satisfy you with Himself forever. Consider the birds and the blooms. Consider your place in it all as His creation and consider His great love for sinners like us in the giving of His Son. Repent, trust Christ, and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we come to the table repenting. God worries. They just, they are like a weed. They just spring up out of nowhere at times. God, I confess and we confess this morning, God, that help us. We, we, we doubt at times, God. We struggle, we wrestle, we worry. We want to trust you. And Father, I pray that as we come to this communion meal this morning, we will remember that you are the God who has made us your own children. You clothe, you feed the birds, you clothe the flowers. You'll take care of your children in such a way that we will not at all be disappointed, but satisfied in you forever. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.